You are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody, guys. Locked On Browns, episode 154. Uh, look, obviously now uh, the stage of the NFL has converged after, you know, the the big party down in Mobile, the one-week break, obviously starting to get, you know, getting to know the college prospects better. Guys like myself, my guest here tonight, uh, a lot of us have been this at this since, you know, the summer, uh, but now the names are starting to, uh, you know, take shape as far as that is concerned. Um, but, you know, the, the focus will shift, obviously, to Minneapolis for the week, New England Patriots, Philadelphia Eagles, obviously, you know, Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, me, here in New Jersey, it's tough, uh, you know, Last thing you want to see is another Patriots Super Bowl. Don't want to see the Eagles, but a good point was made here on New York Radio today is, you know, if you're a Jet fan or one of the, you know, a fan of the AFC East team, is the sixth Super Bowl going to change anything Patriot-wise? It's probably not going to change anything. Look, it just, it just personifies the greatness. So if you need to swallow it that way, but look, we're all going to watch the game. And I hear so many, oh, I'm not going to watch it. Who could watch that? I'll oh, stop it. Super Bowl Sunday. 100 million people watch. Everybody's going to watch. But look, Cleveland Browns fans, we've been full on draft mode here for a while. It's a lot easier to talk about the draft right now than it is free agency. I know you guys want a lot of free agency talk, but it's really difficult to do until we know who's going to be available. Draft-wise, look, we've got the names. We know who's available. We know the picks that we have. So we're going to continue with that. Um, The guest here this evening, Ryan McChrystal from Bleacher Report. Um, You know, look, I'm here in New Jersey. Ryan is about as far possible away from New Jersey and still be in the United States soil as possibly can be, uh, you know, out there as a far left coaster. Uh, Ryan, first off, you know, how are you doing this evening? Uh, and look, uh, for you, a guy like you, I know what a big draft guy you are. This has just got to be the busiest time of the year, and you wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It is a busy time of year, but it's also the most fun time of year, I think. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, because you just get so deep in it, and the amount of guys that covered and the positional, and I mean, every day some guy seems to, whether it's social media or somebody gets a write up, somebody seems to take storm. You know, it can be a quarterback one day. Obviously, that's always dominated that way. The next thing you know, it's a day three running back. You know, I remember Tariq Cohen had about forty eight hours of the draft limelight last year where he took over, showed up with a good rookie year. So it was always fun. That is the best part about covering this. Is is it's kind of just, yeah, I guess it's almost like, you know, I'm going to say like an unpeeled vegetable that you have never know what you're going to get to with each passing day. And we got a lot of days to get through before we hit late April. Um, you know, look, uh, I don't think Cleveland Browns were an 0-16 team this year. I think they were coached to it. I think there was some young, a, a lot of young talent that maybe it, it didn't all matriculate on game days the way it needed to. But regardless, you know, you know, the a lost term whatsoever, here we are, you know, drafting one again back-to-back years. Ryan, give me some thoughts on the roster here. Obviously, there's always holes to be filled when you have a you know a team that's 0 and 16. Give me some thoughts in general. You know, I, you know, as far as some of the young talent they've accumulated over the past two years. Yeah, well, you know, I'm probably in the minority on this, but I'm among the Browns fans that thinks that this roster is actually pretty good. And like you said, there's no way this was an 0 and 16 team. Uh, I think a lot of things could have bounced differently where this team won at least four or five games this year with the talent that they had on the roster. Um, especially on defense, that's probably where, from an optimism point of view, defenses is where they've clearly looked the best. And I think it's not a coincidence that that's where they've looked good because that's where the most of the young talent has come from so far. They've invested, I think it's five top 100 picks over the past two years on the front seven. 
Um, and most of them were playing well. And so it's no surprise that, you know, the run defense was really good this year. Um, pass press is still a work in progress, but, you know, when you're drafting young guys, it's kind of what you expect. Um, so on defense, I'm, I'm really optimistic about the talent. I think for the most part, you know, 2017, that, that team was, even though, like, the record was rough, for the most part, there were NFL players on the field the whole time, which, you know, 12 months ago, we weren't saying that about the roster. Um, so I think now is the point where there's like, there's some building blocks there and, you know, with the money they have and all the draft picks they have, I, I think there's going to be a huge leap in production once, you know, this roster is finally filled out for the 2018 season. And I think that's one thing that people in, you know, look, if you're not, if you're outside of it, I get it. And, you know, look, anybody's going to turn around and, you know, they're going to point the finger and make the jokes at, at a record of 0 and 16. But, you know, this is, the build has kind of been old school in the fact that it was built, you know, trench-wise, offensive line, defensive line. Obviously a huge wild card in all of this offseason and what, you know, the Browns do is where Joe Thomas is going to lean, whether he does come back. And he's kind of made some thoughts that if he does come back, it's either his last year in Cleveland or it's his last year in the league. Um, And look, you know, Joe is granted that as the future Hall of Famer he is. You know, look, you give him his time, and he's going to make his decision. Obviously, he's not going to leave the Browns over a barrel in that sense, but it could leave a gaping hole in that respect. But like you said, you know, the offensive line, obviously you've got your left guard, you got your center, you got your right guard. Sean Coleman, I think, has done enough to show you that you have your right tackle. So you got four to five returning on the offensive line. The defensive line, you know, everybody, oh, well, nobody would screw up Miles Garrett. But nobody seems to want to say, hey, Cleveland, Larry Okajobi, nice job. That was a hell of a selection. Here's a guy that looks like, you know, for me, he looks like a, a young Warren Sapp. Now, keep in mind, Warren Sapp played football his entire life. You have not, you know, Larry Ogunjobi, that is not the case. And as the year went on, you know, the reps were limited, which was probably good. Maybe you didn't want to feed him too much too fast. But, you know, there was a player, obviously, many Agba at the time he went down with the foot, was the defensive MVP of this team. So a ridiculous, you know, job done there in the trenches. You know, now it's, you know, it's a lot easier to go find your guys, you know, skill-wise. You know, I mean, something's going to be needed on the cornerback. You, you know, Greg Williams is going to have to either change the way he feels or you're going to need somebody who can play a true, deep, free safety position. But we're going to get into that here as we go here. Um, look, at number one, look, it's, yes, Kirk Cousins available, and I know a lot of guys want to bring that up. But the problem is, is it's very rare when you get a franchise quarterback available. But then again, how do you yell, you sell him to a team that is one in thirty-one in the last two years? Kirk Cousins, Ryan, he's not an option here, is he? I don't think so, and I, I don't think he should be, even if he were willing to come here. Um, in a different year, I think maybe you could sell that. You know, if this were, if we were talking about the quarterback class being guys that you were hesitant to take in the top ten, let alone number one overall. Um, like a couple of years ago with Goff and Wentz. You know, obviously, now they both look good, but if you remember back at the time, we were talking about them, maybe neither one of them being worthy of those top two picks. So and in a, if there were such... And even the rookie years didn't go so swimmingly. Yeah, exactly. So if you were in one of those years where you're going into the draft thinking, gosh, I don't know for sure, like maybe you're almost picking a quarterback by default, um, then maybe you could justify going out and getting someone like Cousins, but... I'm really excited about the top three guys at the top of this draft class, and I think in any year, those three guys are legitimately number one overall picks. So in the Brown situation, I, I say swing for the fences. Go figure out which one of those top three like 
and just go get that guy who's potentially going to be there for 15 years and completely change the story of the franchise. And that's almost where I'm with. It's almost like, you know, like, you know, look, continue to build the fraternity. You know, let these younger guys know that, you know, Miles Garrett, look, it's okay. Miles Garrett's a solid guy. Let him take on a leadership type of role. And you look, everything you see from Miles Garrett, the guy is 100%, 110% about ball. Bring in guys to fit that, you know, maybe don't bring in a veteran where it's going to become his team. Let it become this these kids' team. Um, we're going to get into the three quarterbacks here. Uh, I, I'm only going to go with three because, look, there's obviously I, I think it's a pretty good class, and the NFL needs a deep draft class. You have so many guys. Like I, 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 I was talking with somebody today on Twitter, and I mentioned it out. Brady, Breeze, and then you got the three from the one class of Eli, Ben, and Phillip Rivers. Look, these guys, it, you know, a snap of the fingers, they're all going to be gone. It's going to be that quick because the quarterback position, it's over before you know it. And these guys, almost every one of them to a man, is essentially on borrowed time. So it's great for the league that you're going to see a deep quarterback class. For Cleveland, you're picking one. You don't make mis- any mistakes here like they did last year. Go get your guy. Miles Garrett was that dude. They went and got him. So now, But you have choices here, and it's going to take a lot of work, and you got to dig deep. You've got Sam Darnold, who everyone loves, and you want to know what. And the people, things that outside of the jury, you know, guys, if you don't cover this, you know, people, oh, well, this, that. Sam Darnold is going to win everything from the neck up. He's going to win that way through the draft process. You have Josh Rosen. I watched Josh Rosen throw a football. It is... It's like the guy has been playing already in the league for five years. You have Baker Mayfield, who you want to know what. You say, you want look at this guy. They rally around him. Everybody loves him. He's tough as stinking nails. He's going to play all day long. So it, it's a great group to pick from. It's just a question of, you know, what's your poison, you know, if you settle up to the bar stool. I guess we'll start here. I, I, I guess Baker did, did senior bowl. He's the senior here. Uh, Ryan, give me your thoughts on, you know, obviously the, you know, the fun gunslinger out of Oklahoma, number six guy has never met a good time that he didn't like. Yeah, well, he's number three on my list. But I'm with I say you. That, I'm with you. I say that in any other year, if there were only one of these guys, they're number one, and I'm taking them number one overall. So he's number three, but that's that's not an insult like it might be in some other years. Um, and I love him. I love everything about him. Um the one thing that everyone criticizes about him, obviously, is his height. And I, I never care about height with quarterbacks because I think it's something that gets counted twice. Because we talk about arm strength and height, and they're so closely tied together. Most short quarterbacks don't have a strong arm, and so then they fail in the league. You look at a guy like Kellen Moore. I was bringing this up on Twitter a couple of days ago. A guy like Kellen Moore, he didn't necessarily fail because he was short. He failed because... You know, he could do everything well, he was accurate, he made good decisions, but he just couldn't throw the ball 20 yards, and you have to be able to do that. And shorter quarterbacks tend to not have stronger arms. But if you have a strong enough arm, it doesn't matter. And I think that's where Baker Mayfield is. He's got a great arm, maybe not be on the same level as some of the elite arms in this draft class, but it's plenty good enough. Um, And I think he's going to be great because he's got a good enough arm, really good athlete, and his accuracy is off the charts. I think he's the most accurate quarterback in this class. He clearly built up a great rapport with his receivers at Oklahoma, great timing with them, especially as plays broke down. You could tell that he was really on the same page with guys, guys working back to him. Um, And I think that speaks to his work ethic. And, you know, I know that's sort of a question mark with him because his antics on and off the field aren't great. It's not what you want to see, admittedly. Um, 
But that, that takes a lot of work to have good fundamentals, to have that uh, rapport with your receivers. And so I think you can kind of look to that as a sign that even if, you know, he needs to clean up some things and mature a little bit, that when it comes right down to it, the football work ethic is probably still there. Yeah, and that was even the thing. And, and if anybody, if you want with Baker Mayfield, I, you know, one of the most impressive throws I think he had of this season, and there were many, was the touchdown he threw to Flowers. Obviously, you know, he kind of played the hybrid fullback, you know, H-back role for Oklahoma against Georgia in the Rose Bowl. You know, Baker was able to manipulate the, manipulate the pocket to get himself to the window. But Flowers also knew, look, don't quit on a route because Baker's going to find the spot to release it. And it, it was a perfect ball. And, you know, I, I, I still think that if maybe they didn't take the ball out of you know, Baker's hands, they'd still maybe be playing that Rose Bowl right now today, the way that game was headed. Uh, you know, just it was funny the way it worked out. and It was kind of sad. Um, you know, and Baker went down, and you know, some people tried to knock his week down in Mobile, which was terrible. First things first, Baker Mayfield could have said from day one, "I'm not going to do the Senior Bowl," and it would have been okay. There was not much he had to show. Yep. For me, the only thing, the most positive thing for Baker Mayfield was, look, he is a six foot quarterback. But once I heard that he measured it with nine and a half hands, because that was my thing, give me something where I can kind of offset the fact that he's six feet tall. Nine and a half inch hands? Okay then, I'm all right. You know, and he's he's just got that attitude. He's got the total gamer to him. Uh, you know, he knows he's small, and I think it drives him that he's a shorter quarterback. Like the way you see it with Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson knows he's not the biggest guy in the field, but you want to know what Russell Wilson also has a theory of? I am going to outwork you if I got to win that way. Because yes, it's a 60 minute game, but I got to put in extra work to win you in 60 minutes. I think you get that type of thing. With Baker Mayfield, that type of approach, obviously the double walk-on, the fact that nobody wanted him, he's continuously had to prove himself, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Once you get that chip on your shoulder, you kind of carry it for life. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's another thing that you know is sort of a positive in his character is that he clearly plays with that chip on his shoulder, and even if he does need to not show it as much in the negative ways, um, we, we've seen guys build entire careers off of having a chip on their shoulder, and they Philip do it 15, 20 years. Yeah, exactly. He still plays that way, even though no one's questioning how good he is you know, 15 years after his draft. Um, but that just that just becomes a part of who you are, and it seems like that's really ingrained in Mayfield. Yeah, it, it's, he's a fun player to watch. And, you know, I, I agree with you. If you want to put Josh and you want to put Sam on top of him, I 110% understand because you do, you know, look, the six-foot six quarterback plateau is not a huge one, so you kind of have to give it an issue there. Uh, guys, like I said, Locked On Network, it is a big week, obviously. Locked On Patriots, my buddy Mark Schofield hosts the show, uh, does a fantastic job with it. Uh, I know these guys are fired up. Look, you know, when you're a guy who's covered a team from week one to this, uh, you, know, uh, you know, to this point now where you've got a Super Bowl game, you know, uh, the, the Patriots guys, the Eagles guys, all these guys who cover the show, they're really tight. They're good friends. So I know they're excited. They knew some great stuff. Locked on Patriots with Mr. Mark Schofield, good friend of mine. Check out the show. He's going to have some great stuff this week going forward. Uh, we're going to dip in here now, Ryan. Uh, I, I guess we'll go, you know, we're going to go to L.A. either way. Uh, I, I'm going to go with Josh Rosen here. Um, and it's kind of been, I don't want to say a tough time for these guys, but, you know, they. this is what happens after the senior ball week. The hot names take the stage. Obviously, Josh Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield. They, you know, they kind of have the limelight right now. The, the attention's going to shift over to these other guys. You know, the underclassmen, like it always does. But Josh Rosen, I think he's one of the most gifted collegiate passers 
I've seen in quite a long time. And, and I think the game that really just, for me, put him at QB1 for me was him playing against USC and Sam Darnold. And you want to know what? You may have the better team, but everybody's going to walk out of here talking about me. Yeah, there's no question. He was the best quarterback in that game, and he put on a show. Um, and it was kind of nice seeing those two guys in the same field because you really saw the difference in the supporting cast that those two guys were working with. Whereas Darnold had, you know, it wasn't a great supporting cast, but he definitely had some playmakers out there, some guys that were helping him make him look better. And Rosen, especially by that point in the season, once some injuries had settled in for UCLA, he was out there by himself, essentially. <laughs> and he was still making that team competitive. And, and the thing was, I mean, in, in, like you said, you know, not doing with as much, um, you know, if you went through Josh Rosen's season, uh, you know, most of it, you know, it was a lot of good. You know, there was the uh, Eli Manning-ish interception against Memphis, you know, rolling all the way out to the right, tossed a ball in between the hashes. I mean, even against Memphis, you don't want to make a play like that. Um, what are some concerns you may have with Josh? And look, I don't want to get into the, you know, what type of kid he is. I think a lot of that is fabricated. Uh, look, he's extremely smart. Yes, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, the way the world works now when you're dealing with 19, 20-year-olds who have been around the Internet their entire lives, yes, they are smarter than you know anybody else was at that age. Um, obviously, the fa- fact that he was an athlete, athlete as a tennis player, uh, he knows how to maximize the way he throws the ball, get his power into every type of throw. So maybe give me some highs and some lows on Rosen that you know, you're going to have in some scouting reports. Yeah, well, if we ignore any potential questions off the field and if we ignore the injuries and just look at the on-field stuff, I don't really have any questions with Rosen. That's why he's quarterback number one for me. I think he's the best to come out since Andrew Luck. Um, He does everything well. I think he's above average in every category. Um, And one of the things that really makes him stand out for me is the way that you see him place the ball. He isn't just accurate. There's a lot of college quarterbacks who are accurate and put the ball where their receiver can get it. But Rosen consistently throws the ball into tight coverage in a spot that's the best spot for his receiver, whether it's throwing it up a little bit high, throwing the back shoulder. There was one beautiful play. um, I think it was the last game of his season. Forget if that was USC or if it was the game after, where he threw it low and away to one of his shorter receivers in the end zone. And it was the kind of play where, as you watch it develop, you would expect it to be a high throw. The receiver could go up and over top of the DB. But he was throwing to like a guy who was uh, 5'10", and he put it low and away, and it was clearly designed that way. Clearly his receiver knew it was coming there, and it couldn't have been placed more perfectly for the touchdown. And his plays like that where he's taking accuracy to another level and is clearly on the same page with his receivers in those situations. That, for me, just sets him apart, because if you can do that, I don't think there's any way that you can... You can't be a bust if you've got accuracy at that level. If you're able to sit there patiently, wait for the play to develop, and then put it at the exact spot where your receiver is expecting it. If everything else can go wrong. You can have a bad supporting cast. You, know, you can have be changing coaches constantly. You can be in a bad situation. If you can make throws like that, you're always going to be an NFL-level starter. And in some ways, he reminds me of Andrew Luck in that respect. You know, a lot of people have been disappointed by Luck's career, but you know he, he hasn't had a great supporting cast. His offensive line's been terrible. He's been injured. But every time he's out there on the field, the Colts are competing because he makes everyone around him that much better. And that's what I saw Rosen do to the guys around at UCLA this year. 
Yeah, and, and part of the luck is, I mean, the thing with luck is, is you know, it's like, well, you know, Andrew Luck threw for 4,500 yards this year and almost 30 touchdowns. Oh, well, they were a 5-11 and 11 team. Well, where are you going to shift the blame here? I mean, you know, he did everything yep. he was asked of. Yep. Um, we're going to shift on over to the other side of L.A. Uh, Sam Darnold, and I do think at the end of the day, in my opinion, I think he is going to be the selection for the Cleveland Browns at one. If we were to make a pick today, I think it'll be Sam Darnold. I don't think they will jump on a Josh Rosen in that respect. Uh, you know, maybe not Baker Mayfield. I do think Sam will be the guy. Some thoughts on Sam Darnold. Obviously, look, if you're going to coach a quarterback, you're going to draw up a quarterback in his delivery. Sam's not what you're going to draw up. But, uh, you know, the mind works, the, the progressions work, the processing works. Uh, He's he's a lot better than you know some people. Oh, you know, oh, too many turnovers. Well, I mean, those are going to happen. They can be fixed once he f- spends one hundred percent of his life devoted to football. But go ahead. Uh, obviously, the signal caller for you know Trojan signal caller Sam Darnold. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm with you. I, he's number two for me. But if I had to bet, I would say he's the pick for the Browns. Um, and most of that's just because no one is going to have any questions with him off the field. And regardless of what you think about whether the off-field questions with Rosen are legitimate, some people do have them. So if we're just placing bets, you know, they're both really highly rated. Go with the guy who has zero off-field questions. He's probably the safe bet to go number one. But as far as you know, on the field, I think as far as his ceiling, he's just as good as Rosen. They've got the exact same ceiling. They do a lot of the same things. The reason he's number two for me behind Rosen is that he just doesn't do it consistently enough. He's still making a lot of elementary mistake that Rosen just doesn't make anymore at this stage of his career. So Rosen's just a little further along in the development. There's, there's two things that, with Darnold that really stand out that make me a little bit nervous, even though I really like him and I'm perfectly happy to take him number one overall. One is the mechanics, specifically his footwork. Uh, it's it's really bad. I mean, it's a, as bad as anyone that I can remember scouting as being a guy that was like a solid first-round grade. Um, he has a really bad habit of stepping out to his left, or sometimes not stepping at all and just throwing all arm. Um, and Darnold is a very talented, accurate passer. But when you're making mistakes like that, it doesn't matter how talented you are. It's going to lead to some bad throws, and that shows up on Darnold's tape. He, he makes a lot of bad throws that I, I'm not super concerned about it because I think it can be very easily fixed by just cleaning up his footwork a little bit. And I know that he's talked about that. I know it's something that he's working on. So he may even take the field in September, and we could see a different quarterback in that regard, if that's something he's able to clean up over a couple months. Um, but it is something to worry about. And specifically in regards to the Browns, I'd be a little bit worried about it if they force him to play right away. Because it's one thing to clean up bad habits like that in practice, but if you're suddenly thrown back into the into a field going up against an NFL pass rush, it'd be really easy for a guy to just revert back to those bad habits, especially when we start seeing pressure. So it would make me nervous if the Browns took him and played him right away. If they took him and maybe went and got another quarterback, like you know, I know Alex Smith's name has been tossed out. If they did that and you know, eased Darnell in, maybe played him a game or two at the end of next season and let him take over in 2019, I'd be all on board with that. If we play this from day one, I'm a little more nervous because of the mechanics issues. And then the other thing that concerns me a little bit, and again, it's something that I think can be cleaned up, especially because I think it improved throughout the season, and that's just his decision-making, especially when he's facing pressure. He tends to lock on to his receivers sometimes, um, especially when he knows he's going to have to get the ball out quickly. Um, 
And if he just took like an extra split second to look at the defense, or maybe even if he, it's hard to judge a quarterback and how they read the defense pre-snap, but given the number of mistakes he makes, it appears to be something that he needs to work on also. If he can just clean up that, reading the defense, um, and avoiding some of those bad decisions, I, I think that that's, uh, w- once he does that, and once he cleans up the footwork, he's right there on Rosen's level. He could be a superstar for a decade plus. And I do think in you know the footwork obviously is is a huge thing. That seems to be the one thing that everybody kind of agrees it agrees with. And part of the problem is though is because he has you know and he looks every bit of almost six foot four, maybe a, you know a shade or a tick or two below. But once you start spreading your legs too far apart with him, with not the traditional over the top release, that's only bringing his you know release point down lower. You know where balls are going to sail on lower passes and stuff like that. Look, and that's why there are these QB coaches, and that's why there are all these guys who work with everybody. But I do think you make a great point with if you put him right in and he is overmatched, and we already saw what Cleveland did to Deshaun Kaiser, who kind of yeah. you know wanted to be a turtle and go right back into his hole. It's normal to think that Sam Darnold is going to do the same type of thing. You just go, you know, you don't think about it because you're not confident enough in what you're doing everywhere else that you still think in mind, all right, I, I, I've got to get my feet, to, you know, I've got to make sure my feet are right. You're thinking is i got to do whatever i got to do to get rid of the ball. So I do agree with you there. You know, I hope that the wait period isn't as long as, you know, double-digit type of weeks if I'm taking a quarterback at one. But I do agree with you on pretty much everything you said with Sam. And, and I think the fact that he's going to go in, he's going to wow on the whiteboard, everyone's going to talk to him, he's, you know, 100% the football player. That's what he wants to do. I think he handled this entire process well over the summer. Look, I have no intentions of going pro. Then, you know, midway through the season, it still started to leak that Sam Darnold seems a lot to stay at USC. I think he handled all that well where he was just able to focus on his season at USC. So, you know, Sam Darnold looks to be that guy unless something comes up or something changes here. But it seems to be the lock for this point. Uh, guys, I gave the promo to the Locked On Patriots. So, uh, Michael Kiss, Benjamin Solick, Locked On Eagles, they do a fantastic job as well. Uh, I know the, uh, everybody, you know, Mark Schofield as well with Locked On Patriots. The guys were down in Mobile trying to double dip between cover and a team going to the Super Bowl, you know, trying to get you guys draft coverage. Locked On Eagles with Michael Kist and Benjamin Solick. Uh, great yin and the yang there of an older guy and a younger guy bringing you great shows. Check those shows out as well. Uh, I know, that, look, these guys are geeked up, as I, as I would be. But, look, it's a little different when you took over a show and by October you're already on draft coverage. One day, Browns fans, those are the shows we're going to be hoping to do. But Locked On Eagles with those two guys, go ahead and check that out. Uh, a lot of positions that we could highlight here. We did mention the defensive line, which I, I do think is a solid unit here. Um, you know, Agba, obviously, you know, with Ogunjobi, with Miles Garrett, I, I think something that needs to be added here to this Browns mix is is they need one more, and I don't care if it's a guy who's only going to play like an Elmas Doomerville type role, or the only plays in second and long, only plays in third down. They need one more guy here who can get home. Because look, the word is already out on Miles Garrett. Um, look, uh, obviously Greg Williams didn't do the greatest part down the stretch by, you know, playing the lag coverage and expecting Miles Garrett to get a sack within one and a half seconds. But you need another guy or two who can get home where you can start rotating these guys. Obviously, we've already seen Miles Garrett take reps inside in nickel and dime. Obviously, we know Manny Oba can do that as well. 
We need some speed rushers, something of that nature, but at least somebody who can get in the backfield consistently, get the quarterback off his spot. Ryan, give me a couple of names here. Well, if we're looking at it from a Browns perspective, I, I think it's probably unrealistic to think they're going to take someone in the first round no, to do that. But I'm, no, I'm, no. I'm with you. I'm totally with you that that's a position that they should get. And so there's some guys maybe on the second day or maybe even early, like fourth round range where they could target someone. One of the guys that I have a feeling a lot of Browns fans would like to see um, is Jalen Holmes from Ohio State. I'm really intrigued by him. Maybe he goes in the third round. Maybe he's still available in the fourth round. But I think adding a versatile player like Holmes could be really interesting for the Browns because they do already have you know, the core guys that are going to be the stars on that line, hopefully for a long time. Um, but Holmes at Ohio State, he lined up at end in an, an, an obvious um, like third and long situation. He also lined up at tackle. They basically put him in there as an extra pass rusher um, and really spread everybody out. And I thought it, was, it, it worked really well for Ohio State. And I think it'd be interesting to see um, someone who has some familiarity in that role and see the Browns try to incorporate that, another like extra pass rusher, and use him in different situations. Um, and then if you're adding someone who you know is going to come in and not start right away, just having someone who's moved around in the line and is versatile, it's just a huge asset for a guy to have if, he, if he's like a third, fourth round pick. So he's an interesting one um, that I'd like to see. Um, but I'd also, I think it'd be interesting if they added a guy who's maybe a little bit smaller and can line up. Um, and pass rush from a two-point stance. Um, and a guy like that, who again, targeting someone who has experience doing that, that I would like in the third, maybe fourth round, would be Marquise Haynes out of Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. He's really undersized. He mostly played defensive end at Ole Miss, but they moved. he was in three-point stance, two-point stance. They moved him around. Um, I know most teams are looking at him as a linebacker, but having a guy who's done a little bit of everything and has moved around and has been used as a pass rusher, if you're looking for a backup that you're going to use in situational spots like that, I really like the idea of targeting someone like that who can come in and help right away because he's already done that. He's going to be comfortable coming in for a couple of plays and playing in that really specific role. Um, and then another guy sort of in that same vein who you probably have to draft a little bit earlier. If, if he might go in the first round, hopefully he could be a second-round option for the Browns. would be Harold Landry uh, from Boston College. Uh, similar situation with Marquise Haynes. A little bit undersized, played some defensive end, played in a two-point stance occasionally. Um, but if you're looking for a guy that's going to be a situational pass rusher, you know he needs to develop, he needs to get a little bit bigger, learn how to play the run better if someone were drafting him to start. But the Browns, you're not going to expect him to do that, at least not right away. So I think it could be a great situation for him to come in, do what he does best right off the bat, and help the team in those situations. You know, and I love, actually, I love that you brought up Landry. Because I think he's more of like, you know, the working man's pass rusher, you know, where Miles Garrett is just the absolute, you know, yeah. god gifted athlete. So, you know, he would make a nice pairing there. Whereas, look, you know, you're going to have to f- focus on uh, Ogan Joby or an Oba inside and Miles Garrett. And, and you know, you're going to give, you know, Land- Harold Landry. And I go back to his 2016 game. I'm a diehard Florida State fan. He literally destroyed them. The all, I mean, his game was ridiculous. I think it was three sacks, 16 total tackles. He was just an absolute beast. One other name I'm going to put to this mix, just because I think he doesn't have much wiggle in his pass rush, but I think he's straight getting there, is Florida State pass rusher Josh Sweat. Um, he's a guy questionable with a knee. You know, it's going to be interesting how the medicals play out for Josh Sweat. But he is a guy that, you know, can get to the quarterback. And if you're putting in a position where he is part of your pass rush situation, I think he can get home a lot more. 
But this is why you, know, you need to add a little bit more here. You saw it at times last year, and I didn't truly understand this with the Browns, where they kind of subbed out the whole A, D line and brought in the B, D line. Maybe get yourself to the point now where it's like, you know, you know, you know, Miles, you're getting four reps off the field. Okay, you go in. Manny, you're getting three reps. And maybe we can do it that way where we're not doing wholesale substitutions on a defensive line because that's not really the best way to handle that type of business. But, you know, definitely one or two guys can still be added, and it is a ridiculously deep group. It's a strength and numbers type of thing. And the more guys you get with the better abilities that they have, it's going to make it that much harder on an offensive coordinator or a quarterback to focus, you know, on where you're going to extend, you know, which the back is going to take who. When you get to a position where everybody can get something done, that's the best thing you can have as far as defense. It makes the coverage that much better. Ryan, uh, before I read, uh, i got a couple things before we let you go here. Uh, this is one thing I'm going to do here as we go on further in April. Everybody have on to talk about draft. The best thing, you know, it, the best thing Cleveland has going for them draft-wise draft right now is, you know, and everybody will always say once day two starts is, oh, you got two, three, four guys who are available tonight who still might be round one players, still carry round one grades. Well, the Cleveland Browns hold picks one, pick four, pick 33, and pick 35. I mean, they are the first ones to the buffet on, on day one. They are the first ones to the buffet on day two. Give me, give me four guys you know, that realistically within those picks that you think just be absolute home run selections and can just add what's been done to this roster to this point. All right, yeah. So we already mentioned Darnold at number one. I think we can pencil that in as a very likely pick there. Sure. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And then number four, it's hard to guess where they're what they're thinking, but it would be so hard to pass on Saquon Barkley if he's there, even though it's not a huge need and they could fill that hole other ways if Crowell doesn't come back. I, it'd be so hard to pass up on him just because your offense suddenly looks completely different with Darnold and Barkley. And that's just a whole different team you got to prepare for. And other teams are getting ready for you. I think that would just that would change the whole direction of the franchise. Both of those guys stay healthy and can produce right away. Um, so that that's what I would do, and I think it's I think it's reasonably likely too. Um, then in the second round, they've got to get a cornerback with one of those two early picks in the second round. Um, a guy that I'd really like to see them get would be Tavares McFadden out Florida State. Oh, um, speaking, oh Ryan, you can do that for me. <laughs> He's, I didn't even know you were a Florida State fan before this. I already had that name written down, so it's perfect. I, I, I really like him. He had an up-and-down career. I know Florida State fans were kind of iffy on him at times during his career, but when when he puts it all together, he is great. He can be a lockdown corner. He has size. Uh, it's probably going to be a work in progress with him. Maybe he doesn't even start right away, although with the Browns' depth, he probably would be forcing him starting at that position, but... I, I really like him. Maybe he has some rookie year struggles. He probably does. But long term, if he's working with you know, the same coaching staff for a few years, I think he could be a home run. And then, regardless of what Joe Thomas does, I think it'd be smart to look for a left, potential left tackle with one of those picks. Um, it's tough. There aren't, you know, by the time you get to the second round, you're never getting a home run pick with a, if you're targeting a left tackle. But there's That's some guys the that. Yeah. There's a. There's some guys that you could get that I think are, you know, you could take hoping they develop into a left tackle, and if not, maybe they end up moving to guard or right tackle down the road. A guy I really like is Martinez Rankin from Mississippi State. I think he sort of fits that safe pick where if you had to plug him in at left tackle, 
could, and you hope that he continues to develop and locks down that spot once Thomas is gone. Uh, but he probably has some versatility too. So in the second round, I think he's a good guy to target um, as someone who has some versatility. If he doesn't end up at the left tackle, but you're not completely punting on drafting left tackle, he definitely could end up there. So th- those are the four guys. If, if they came away with that, I think you have some immediate starters and you potentially have four guys that you can lock in the really important positions long-term. And to do that in one draft class would be pretty incredible. Yeah, and then you still think about the fact that they still hold another second-round pick and the yeah. first pick in the third round. I mean, yep. it, it's just such a, a, a great position for them to be in, not to mention, you know, having a ton of cap, you know, a ton of money and a free agency period to go through. Uh, I think the thing, and actually because you brought up McFadden, I think everybody on Florida State this year is probably going to take a little bit of a hit draft-wise, even Derwin James. Uh, you know, when a season falls yep. apart like it did, it's a tough spot for these guys, and it stinks for them because basically, you know, when you were an elite recruit, you go to an elite school, and especially after you look at McFadden, you know, obviously Derwin James, you know, missed the 16th season with his injury. McFadden was fantastic. He was running routes for quarterbacks, taking interceptions away. He was that phenomenal. You kind of wonder if the fact that, you know, once you go into a season with national championship aspirations and they're gone by week one, you kind of wonder about the mental state. So obviously he's got a lot of work to do here through the draft process. Ranking is interesting, uh, you know, as far as a you know player standpoint, and, and even still, like you said, you take a left tackle, and if it doesn't work out, most of the time you're going to find a spot for him down the line somewhere. If you're taking a left tackle high, you're not going to take a left tackle, you know, in the almost I would say top 75, and he's not going to find a way to contribute somewhere to an, somewhere to an offensive line. And the other thing is, Joe Thomas comes back, and even if Joe does, and he's shown that he has no problem being a part of this and sitting down and, and talking with these guys and, you know, look, what do you what do you need? How can I help you? Call me. Come on my podcast. I got you back like that. So, you know, it's kind of fun, with, you know, where Joe's headed. Hopefully there's one more year on the gridiron before he takes it, you know, full-time to probably what should be a pretty promising media career. Ryan, before I let you go, though, look – we're six days away here. Uh, I think it's Super Bowl 52, 53. I don't keep up with the dang numbers. I know Justin Timberlake's performing at halftime. My wife's geeked about that. He better do some sort of Prince tribute if he's in Minneapolis. But the game itself, the game itself, Patriots, Eagles, um, it's going to be interesting. You know, For me, can Nick Foles be the same quarterback he was for the last six quarters of the postseason that he's played to give his team a chance? I mean, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting game. You know, obviously, Tom and Bill, you know, going to be losing a whole bunch, you know, as far as offense coordinator, defense coordinator, special teams coach. Seems all the coaching staff pulling, uh, you know, basically, you know, pulling their bags, heading out of town. Give me some thoughts on the game and give me an ultimate winner, Ryan. Well, it's it's hard to pick against the Patriots. So it's I'll start impossible. there and just, yeah, it's, uh, it's impossible to pick against them if you're just picking straight up. Um, so I'll, I'll start out, I'll just say that I'm picking the Patriots, but I think the more interesting conversation is really, if the Eagles do win, how do they pull it off? So I'll say that if they do win, I think that it's the defensive line putting pressure on Tom Brady. Um, and, you know, as good as Brady is, you know, you're never going to stop him. But Get him keep off pre- his spot. Yep, yeah, just you keep putting pressure on him. You know, take away that ability for him to always hit his number one option because if he's going to hit his number one option, he's going to beat you every single time. So if they can keep pressure on him and maybe force him into you know one mistake, 
that could really swing the momentum of the game, and you know maybe the Eagles can steal one. And here's the thing: if you learned anything from the Jaguars, Philly, do not let off the gas. Absolutely. When you play the New England Patriots, it's like a boxing match. You cannot let it go the distance. You can't let it go to the cards. You've got to knock them out. Uh, all my Locked On Browns fans, guys, appreciate it. we got Connor Rogers coming on tomorrow. We've got a bunch of other great guests this week. Guys, just because the offseason doesn't mean I ain't still giving these same amount of shows. I'm here working. For me, this is the perfect break of the day is talking this. Ryan McChrystal, Bleacher Report. Uh, Brian, anything? I mean, Ryan, anything you want you know want to push? Obviously, you guys follow him on Twitter at Ryan McChrystal. Anything to be looking out for here coming for you? What do you got, Ryan? Uh, nothing specific. Just give me a follow on Twitter if you like uh, scouting prospects. Uh, during this time of year, I like to put together a lot of threads as I'm watching games. I try to clip off uh, some good plays, bad plays on different prospects. So if you like really getting into the film, uh, give me a follow and follow along. All right, Ryan, it was a pleasure. Guys, uh, follow the Locked On Browns account. Guys, follow the personal account at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. I think we just reached the 6,000 follower mark. You guys are just too damn good to me. I appreciate it. Let's go Browns. Uh, more draft coming. Super Bowl Sunday coming. Guys, Browns, soon. It'll be our time. I promise you guys. Uh, for me, Ryan, just want to thank everybody. Have a great night. Let's go Browns.